I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Welcome, everyone, and pull up a seat at the table. It is lunchtime in Rome. Tonight is episode 164, entitled Injustice in Loss. Our guest tonight is Matt Cresto, a father and husband who recently went through one of the most excruciating and difficult things a person can go through, watching his beloved bride, Christy, confined to a hospital bed, slowly pass away right in front of his eyes while simultaneously welcoming a new baby onto the planet. You can read his entire journey and all the horrific details he carefully documented during this process at fightforchristy.com. That's fightforchristy with a Y.com. Now, disclaimer there's some big hot button issues in this episode. Our sole intent is to hear Matt's story and discuss the deep well of hurts and emotions he experienced through this horrific process without pushing an agenda. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode belong solely to Matt and not necessarily to the Lunchtime in Rome podcast or any of our affiliates. So pull up a seat at the table and join us. First-time listeners, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Watch us live at lunchtimeinrome.com slash live or listen directly on lunchtimeinrome.com. While there, you can take a relational needs questionnaire. Make sure to follow us on all social media, and it would be great if you gave us a five-star review. Jay, what specifically is this podcast about? Being alone is the worst. Good times aren't as good and bad times are worse when you are all alone. Romans twelve fifteen says to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. That is how you keep people from being alone and what this podcast is all about. We demonstrate that in the first 15 minutes of the podcast and we talk about it for the rest. So while it may not be twelve fifteen in Rome, we're treating it like it is. Lunchtime in Rome. So, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode. It's a lot of bit of a different episode, and that is important. Yeah, and normally what we do is we take the first 15 or so minutes and, and we talk about kind of our week and good, bad things and, and food sometimes and, and all of that. We but catch t- up on life. Catch share up, life with up, one another. Yep, at the table. But and Sometimes one life deserves to be heard a whole lot more than ours. And that would be what's going to happen tonight. Um, as mentioned in the opening, we have Matt Cresto on here. And I briefly described a little bit of what Matt went through and continues to go through to this day. Um, but I wanted to give Matt the floor and um, kind of introduce himself. Um, before I do that, I do want to say that I met Matt earlier this year in January uh, through mutual friend. I, I went to his website and read through his story and started connecting with him um over that we we met once for lunch at panera and i i got to know him a little bit and um just really feel the weight of the burden and hurt that he's going through has gone through and most likely in some ways will continue to go through um as i mentioned he's a father uh he has four kids and so he's got his hands full especially with one under one year old at this point in time um, he's a hardworking guy who's done everything possible to hold it all together. And, um, I was actually just having a conversation with a single mom today about just the juggling act that it is, you know, to, to keep up with your kid's schedule, to keep up with your own schedule, to bring in money, to, to do all of the things like 
it's it's astounding what has to go what you know what has to happen and as we talk about on this podcast um having people surround you being in community being not feeling alone is is critically important and so uh, we may get into some of that with matt tonight and how you've how you've coped what who's who who've surrounded yourself with and you know how that's allowed you to um to to in some way shape or form make it through this time um as I mentioned, also he's currently running fightforchristy.com, and again, that's Christy with a Y, um, where he honestly and thoroughly documented in great detail the horror show that was playing out right in front of his eyes in real time. And, and it's no stretch to call it a horror show. I've seen you shared with me some of the pictures of, um, you know, some of the things physically that were going on with Christy, and um, I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. Um, and so, w- with with all that intro, Matt, would you please introduce yourself and you know, give us a, give us your version. Give us kind of a rundown of, um, you know, it's all on your website. And again, everybody can go read it there. And I would highly encourage you to spend the 20 minutes or so, half an hour, whatever it is, reading through it on the website. But um, it would be so great. And we would be humbled to hear it right from your mouth. Thank you. So uh, I ended up getting COVID from work and I brought it home. I didn't realize it was COVID. I thought it was a flu because I just had... Um, a slight fever and body aches. I've had it before, whatever. Mm-hmm. I didn't think anything of it. And then she got sick and she started having breathing problems. Some of her friends said, well, if she's having breathing problems, you should probably go to a hospital. So I figured, mm-hmm. okay, what is one hospital in the Pittsburgh area that specializes in pregnant women? Because she's eight weeks or eight months pregnant at this point, or seven, thirty-six so, weeks, yeah, thirty-six weeks. Yeah, so she was thirty-six weeks pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone said McGee, so mm-hmm. we took the trip down to McGee, and That's where they, I was born. Yeah, they immediately took her into the uh, OBICU, and of course they did a COVID test, and she came up positive, mm-hmm. and right away they, you know, gave her some oxygen, and were asking, or, you know, they asked if she was vaccinated whatever no at the time when she was pregnant it wasn't something that was allowed you, you, they didn't recommend it for pregnant women mm-hmm. so um they gave her some antibiotics i think or something i can't remember exactly but um they didn't really offer much as in the way of treatment uh, I, I knew to ask about monoclonal antibodies and convalescent plasma, and they said, well, those don't work here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's early in the podcast. I'm already mad. <laughs> yeah. Those don't work here. Oh, but in other places, great. Yeah, yeah. They said they don't work, so we don't offer them. Great. Yeah. I'll, I'll touch on that again in a few minutes. I apologize. No, you're fine. So um, uh, her oxygen was in the lower 90s and they were concerned about the baby so they suggested to us delivering early and well we said well he's only 36 weeks like Mm -hmm. is that safe right 36 weeks is still considered premature Mm -hmm. and they said well let's let's do an ultrasound just to make sure mind you we had already had an ultrasound maybe a week before that it was one of the 3d ultrasounds Mm -hmm. and they gave us pretty exact numbers as far as how far along he was and they did their their ultrasound and they said oh well he's actually 38 weeks and he's eight pounds nine ounces oh okay yeah okay sure all right i don't believe you but uh, they were telling they were telling you this 
in a in a way to maybe get you to uh, go through with having the baby. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. And they never really know, like. From my from my experience, you know, all my experience. Right. Um, but they they, they 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 give you a range, and it's like three pounds. It's like that's there's a pretty wide margin for right. somebody. It's not going to be twenty five. <laughs> right. Right. So um, we we talked about it with each other, and we said, well, "What do you think?" And one question we had for them was, knowing that she was COVID positive, if they were going to isolate him from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she was already, you know, obviously she was pregnant and she had COVID, which means he was in there with it. Mm-hmm. So we said, are you going to take him away? And they said, oh, no, that's not our policy anymore. We don't take babies away from their mothers. As long as you wear a mask, you're fine. Mm. Okay. That was a little more reassuring. Mm-hmm. So we agreed. Uh, this was a nurse that told you this at this point? Yeah, or a that was okay. one of the nurses that told us it wasn't their policy to take them anymore. Okay. Um. So we agreed. And it... it took a little bit, but they induced labor, broke her water, and then, I can't remember what time, I think it was like maybe 2 o'clock in the morning, something like that, hmm. on the 10th. So you had just been in the hospital for maybe how many, like a day at this point, or less yeah, than a day? Yeah, just a day. Okay. Yeah, just a day at this point. Um, They delivered him, and I took one look at him, and I looked at her, and I said, there's no way in the world that he's 38 weeks, Mm -hmm. and he's definitely not an almost nine-pound baby. Mm -hmm. Um, She got to hold him for about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I held him for about five, and then they put him in that little bassinet-looking thing with the heat lamp, Mm -hmm. and two hours later, finally, uh, someone from the pediatric staff came down to examine him, Wow! and they said, oh, yeah, he's 36 weeks. Six pounds, five ounces. Mm-hmm. Mm. Exactly the numbers that we were given at our last ultrasound. Yeah. So now we're already pissed off because they overestimated on purpose. Mm-hmm. And this, you, you definitely had that sense that you that that was a manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. So I believe it was on the twelfth. I think they moved her up to the adult ICU, mm-hmm. and we had still had yet to see him at this point. Um, they took him to the NICU for observation and we still had yet to see him. And as soon as we got up there, my first question to, I think it was one of the nurses, one of the male nurses, I said, when can we see our son? And he said, let me find out. Five minutes later or so, he comes back and says, you can't see your son. Hmm. I said, why not? And they said, because, you're co- because your wife's COVID positive. You can't be around him. I said, excuse me, that's not what we were told downstairs. Downstairs, they said, we don't take babies away anymore. And uh, this nurse or doctor, whoever, said, um, well, I'm sorry, that's that's our policy. Like, that's, you know, she's COVID positive. She can't be around him. I said, well, can I go down and see him at least? No, no, you can't. Why? Uh, because you're around her and you're now exposed so you can't go see him for 14 days i'm like whoa wait wait 14 days what do you mean i can't see my son for 14 days yeah you've been around your wife so you have to go home and isolate yourself for 14 days and then you can come back and see your son no (laughs) no yeah i'm not leaving my wife's side yeah that's crazy i already had a bad taste in my mouth from this hospital at this point and 
them telling me I would have to leave, no, not a chance. Yeah, so this is about two days in. You've been there for about two days at this point. At this uh, four, two or three? Like three days. Okay. Yeah, I think it was three days. And you've held your son for five minutes, and your wife's held your son for ten minutes. Yeah. Okay. And, and I also think it's important, because I, I just checked you know, on, on your story. This is October of 21. October yeah. 21. This is in April of 2020, right. Right. when nobody knows what's going on. This is not that right. long ago. It, right, but my point is right. it's also a year and a half into it. Yeah, yeah. Where right. We kind of know what's going on. Right. We know right. what it exactly is. Exactly my point. Like, right. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I told them, no, I'm not leaving. And magically, three days later, they said, you can come pick up your son now. <laughs> and I was like, what What do you mean I can come pick him up? You just told me I had to quarantine away from him for 14 days. Mm-hmm. And they said, no, you had to quarantine from your wife. Okay, well. I'm still here. Why are you saying I can I can come pick him up now? It was dangerous for him to be around us then. Why is it not dangerous now? Well, you can't can't bring him upstairs. You have to leave. Mm-hmm. So you leave your wife's side. The the decision that they're giving is you leave your wife's side, get your son, and then you leave the you leave the hospital and you can't come back for 14 days ish. Whatever. No, they just pretty much said he's good to go home. Okay. They didn't. They didn't even tell you you that. can't come back. Yeah, okay. yeah, he's good to go. You can get rid of him now. So okay, so you couldn't visit him in the hospital, but you can take him home. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, the, the even funnier part was they <laughs> they let me go down to the NICU yeah. to sit with him before um, his grandmother came to pick him up because I wasn't going to have them possibly start something saying that well now I can't come back or whatever. Sure. So I stayed at the hospital. Her mother actually came to pick him up from the hospital, so she had a car seat in the car and everything, and she picked him up so that I could stay with my wife. Wow. But they let me go down to the NICU, even though three days prior, that right. was a, a huge no-no. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, down in the OBICU, I didn't wear a mask at all. My wife didn't wear a mask. It wasn't really a thing. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as they got up to the adult ICU, oh, you had to wear the full full gown, ha- hairnet, mask, face shield, double glove, everything. Like yeah. You had to do everything. I don't understand why, when they know that they had a COVID-positive patient, why it mattered either way. If mm-hmm. you're going to be at least be consistent about it. Sure. Um, it's so heartbreaking. Like those moments, those moments, you know, right after your 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 child is born like that like those are bonding moments Should and be, like you like yeah. you had 10 minutes you had five your wife had 10 right yeah yeah like it's ugh, yeah. that makes my stomach hurt i kept on asking when um he would be allowed to come back to the hospital to see her and they kept on giving me the runaround giving me different dates sure. different time lengths um, well and you'd wanted to do breastfeeding and everything and obviously yeah what absolutely. You, your wife should be bonding with him right right yeah. um at first, it was 14 days. Then they said, well, 21 days. And then they said, 21 days from a positive test. And then they went back and said, well, 20 days from start of symptoms. So they were all over the place. Yeah. Well, finally, um, they had given me a hard date mm-hmm. when I could bring him in. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I didn't tell her because I, I didn't. I, I'd already seen what. You know, being isolated from her son had already done to her, and um, there were other things that happened. Like uh, when she was on the BiPAP mask, eventually she progressed from just oxygen to a BiPAP, mm-hmm. and um, one of the um, 
respiratory therapists mm-hmm. um, really did a bad job one day and her oxygen set tanked like the entire day. She was in the low 80s all day long. Um, Healthy oxygen is like 100% and that like is that what the scale is? Just Below for- 95, They that's when they consider it to be needing extra oxygen. Okay. And so her oxygen went down to, into the 80s. Yeah, low 80s. Mm-hmm. All because this this girl left her mask real loose. It was leaking all over the place. And when they would switch her back and forth for meals, going between the mask and just the cannula in her nose, mm-hmm. um, everyone else would turn the heater on so that it didn't freeze the inside of her nose. Well, this girl refused to do it. Refused to do it. Yeah, refused to do it. She said, that's not what we do. I said, everyone else, including your boss, has done this. You're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And she argued with me, and eventually I had to scream at her and tell her to get out. Mm. My goodness. So, so, so wait. Let me let me just again make the timeline. So your your son's gone with your with uh, your mother in law. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, and at this point, it's just you and Christy, and she's starting to deteriorate a little bit. Now, I would imagine going into the hospital. You said I chose we chose McGee because we thought if there's a place in Pittsburgh that's going to care for her, this would be the place to do it. Right. You're going in there with, all right, we're going to bang this thing out. We might, you know, we might be in and out in, in three days. Um, and all of a sudden things start to really take a really bad turn. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, something I forgot was, um, the evening that they told me that I couldn't see my son. Um, one of the nurses came in at nine o'clock and said, you're going to have to go home now. Mm hmm. Because visiting hours are over. And I said, there's no way in hell I'm leaving. Like, you can't possibly do anything to make me leave. And she said, well, I'll go get the administrator on duty, and they can explain to you why you have to leave. I said, you go right ahead. Send them in. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting, you know, an actual fight mm-hmm. with with administration. And th- this was probably the only good thing that the administration at that hospital did. The AOD walked in at around 945 and said, so are you all ready to go? And I said, what do you mean? She said, you have pillow, blankets, whatever you need. I was like, this is a very different conversation than I was left with a little bit ago. So you're going to have to run that by me again. She said, I'm not sending you home. I can't send you home. You're, mm-hmm. you're allowed to stay as long as you want. Like I said, that's probably about the only mm-hmm. good thing that they did. Yeah. Um, but even in that... The erosion of truth, because oh, you know, the truth is I have to go. Oh, the truth is I'm welcome to stay. The truth is I can have my kid. The truth is you can't have your kid. Right. There's nothing, like, and it's early in your story. Yeah. And I can trust nobody, and there is nothing that I can have any amount of peace in knowing. Mm. Right. And there, it's not like the stakes are small. These are no. huge stakes. Yeah. Um, so the ICU director, for whatever reason, actually the ICU director was downstairs when my wife was delivering and then also talked to us, um, upstairs in her room and from the, even from the get go before we delivered, he was pushing for her to go on a ventilator. He said she needs to go on a ventilator and so very early on, they oh, already kind yeah. of determined. Like day one, mm-hmm. right like that. She needs a ventilator. And a ventilator really is like a last resort. Yeah. 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 Most people don't make it off. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we've learned that they're they not the best. They don't really work. Right. Yeah. They work opposite. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
I can't even remember where I was now. <laughs> um, you were staying the night, and then the right director said they couldn't send you home. Right. Um, so we had we had had talks with the ICU director, um, and he just kept on pushing the ventilator, and we come down saying, "No, this is not what we want. She doesn't need a ventilator. Just." I, 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 I literally had to keep on saying, I want you to treat her symptoms, mm-hmm. not what you think she has, but treat her symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked them about all kinds of different treatments, and his answer every single time was, that won't cure COVID. Mm-hmm. Just everything was, that won't cure COVID. A ventilator the, will. That was, his, that was his fixated point, and the ventilator is going to cure COVID. Right. Okay. Um, they refused any kind of vitamin supplement. Uh, I they wouldn't tell, give her vitamins. They wouldn't give her anything. Hmm. They wouldn't give her. I'm surprised they even let her eat. Hmm. But they refused any kind of supplements. Uh, they refused. Um, he didn't even want to give her an inhaler. And she was asthmatic. You have someone who has a lung problem hmm. that's also asthmatic. And you don't even want to give them an inhaler? Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm no doctor, but. <laughs> I, I think it would make sense if someone who has asthma is having a problem breathing. Right. Uses an inhaler outside of the hospital. Yes. Well, in hospitals, I've gone to hospitals for breathing treatments when I cannot breathe because I used to have asthma. Maybe they should have given her a breathing treatment. Well, I, I, I finally had to, I, I demanded to see a pulmonologist mm-hmm. and I had to demand it three times before they finally brought me. That's one. a lung doctor. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I had to demand a consult with them three times. Mm-hmm. The first two times, um, the nurse said, well, this doctor is a pulmonologist. I said, no, he's the ICU director. I don't care what he is versed in. I don't care how well versed he is in that. That's not his title. I want to speak to a pulmonologist. Mm-hmm. So finally, they brought me a pulmonologist and the pulmonologist said, well, yeah, you're right. Okay, she has asthma, so we'll give her breathing treatments. Mm-hmm. I don't see what the big deal is. So they started doing that. And didn't at one point the ICU main guy that you're talking about say, well, the pulmonologist is my buddy. He's going to agree with me. Yeah, yeah. He said that, uh, well, the pulmonologist is my best friend. He's going to agree with me. Well, oops. I guess not. (laughs) Yeah. And so, Matt, at this point in time, like, who are you talking to outside of the hospital? Like, what family, what friends? Like, you're a lone soldier inside, but... Is there anybody that you're talking to as this happens? Yeah. Um, actually, her mother, who still works for UPMC, mm. uh, is a nurse at the hospital that she works at. And she kept on telling me, this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right, and saying that her little podunk hospital would have taken better care of her. Mm. Even even from early on, said this, none of this is right. Um, they gave her uh, monoclonal antibodies at her hospital. Mm. When she had COVID. Yeah, when she had COVID. And she had it back in uh, May of 20. Mm -hmm. Or 21. Yeah. Earlier. Yeah, Yeah, May of of the same year. And so she was really instrumental in being there for you and helping you out in the process. Yeah. Um, Her and some of my other friends that were good friends with Christy. um, My one friend, Amy, uh, she actually was feeding me a lot of research about different treatments and stuff and i mean she found stuff that actually came off the nih website which nih is who everyone bases their protocols off of right 
Mm-hmm. So right. I, I handed these um, studies to the doctors at McGee, and they said, that's not part of protocol. That's not going to work. It's not going to cure COVID. And I'm like, do you not see the letterhead at the top of it? Like, it's from the NIH. This is one of the people who you guys say that you base your decisions off of, and you're saying it's not going to work. Um, I had... Um, studies on uh, NAC, on ivermectin, on the monoclonal antibodies themselves, on uh, high doses of zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, Mm -hmm. and you name it. I I handed them, literally, I had the um, patient relations uh, person, uh, I had her print everything. So she saw everything. Mm -hmm. She handed them to me, and then I handed them to the doctors. Mm None of the nurses that took care of Christy could believe that they were withholding any of this. Like, they all said, I I don't understand. Like, yes, someone that's sick, they need vitamin D because we're up north. We're already deficient to begin with. Hmm. And when you're sick and postpartum, you're really depleted of everything. Mm -hmm. They refused. They said no. Um, talk a little bit about how Christy's doing at this point. Is she lucid? Is she able to, you know, are you carrying conversations? And then where did that start to go south? I mean, you had mentioned the, um, you know, her breathing, her her numbers going way down. Um, talk a little bit about her and, you know, how she was doing through, through all of this. Um, so before she ended up on the ventilator, because eventually they did force it on her, um, she had good days. She had bad days. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, she was carrying on full conversations. She had no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, she was very vocal about how she felt mm-hmm. rightfully. So, yeah. Um, and I mean, she, for the most part seemed to be improving and mm-hmm. like her, her oxygen saturation was getting better. And, um, you know, one, once she got over the, the bad day with the one respiratory therapist, everything seemed okay. Mm-hmm. Nothing alarming. Um, I ended up having to, I ended up having to, uh, take two of the boys to, uh, a well check. Um, so I had to leave the hospital overnight and the next, the next day, uh, after their appointment, well, actually the next evening after their appointment. Uh, I did a video chat with her, mm-hmm. and even through the BiPAP mask, she was able to carry on a full-blown conversation. She was calm. About when was this timeline? October 25th. Okay, so she went in early October, and then, yeah, so she's been in there the better part of a month at this point. Right. Okay. Um, so uh, that was October 25th, and, you know, she said goodnight to the boys, goodnight to me, you know, like I said, we had a full blown conversation. Right. She she wasn't sedated or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I left the hospital, I had talked to uh, the nursing staff, and I said she has severe anxiety. Like she already is freaking out that I'm leaving to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I said if she has an anxiety attack, you know, give her something. Her her milk supply is already already dried up, so there's no chance of her right. mm-hmm. giving any any milk to her son, anyways. Um, so that's completely off the table. So if she gets in that situation, give her something to calm her down, so that it doesn't make it worse. Mm-hmm. 
and Christy agreed to it. Normally, she would be opposed to it, but mm-hmm. she understood. Because right. of the circumstances, yeah. yeah. Right. And I woke up at 8 o'clock in the morning to a missed call from the hospital um, from 7.30, uh, and I called back in, and they said, we had to ventilate your wife. Mm-hmm. And I said, Why? So you stepped out of the hospital yeah, for I, the night. Yeah. It, it ended up being two nights. Um, I left so that I could be there to take the boys mm-hmm. to go to their appointment. And then that evening, we still stayed at the house. Mm-hmm. And then in the morning, I was going back to the hospital. Um, so they, they said, well, she had a, a bad panic attack and she hyperventilated and she went into hypoxia. And they said her oxygen dropped down into the 20% range. Wow. I said... Well, how the hell did that happen? They said, well, around 7 o'clock in the morning, she started to hyperventilate. And I said, so no one paid attention to the fact that she was having a panic attack. Okay. Even though you had specifically said what you said and instructed them to do what you said. Yeah. Yeah. So they put her on a ventilator, fully sedated. I mean, sedated and uh, paralyzed. They gave her a paralytic so that she wouldn't try to breathe at all. The machine was doing all the work for her. And she was, you know, face down. And I walk in the room and there's my wife. With face two, down? Yeah, face, prone on her stomach. Oh, okay. Um, and there's my wife with a tube hanging out of her throat and out of her mouth. And, you know, I'm left with no one to talk to at that point. Jeez. Yeah. So I started basically questioning everything that they were doing. And they ended up leaving her on her stomach for nine days straight. Now, to my understanding, that's like a huge no-no. You're supposed to, at at the very least, reposition someone every two hours, if not flip them every 16. Mm-hmm. And they left her nine days on her stomach. She ended up with a giant wound. Sword. Yeah. yeah, this is the, one of the pictures you yeah. showed me. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, she ended up with a giant wound underneath her breasts right across the rib cage um, where it was so deep it was pretty much down to bone yeah there was no flesh left on top of it jeez it it was horrific it was disgusting mm-hmm. I, I I couldn't believe it and I her mother is a certif- board certified wound care nurse mm. to boot yeah so I sent her pictures and she's like what the hell happened and I told her they you know they finally flipped her over and that's when she started freaking out like you're supposed to flip every 16 hours not every nine days um and they attributed it to uh, her not tolerating it but I, I, don't, I don't buy it yeah now during those nine days you were you would continue to go but like you were at this point back in the hospital with her and oh, yeah. by her side and yeah, i didn't i didn't leave mm-hmm. I, I didn't i didn't even leave for food i would either call for hospital food downstairs or i would use doordash mm-hmm. i literally didn't leave the room yeah and so, so if they said she didn't tolerate it, you were there. Well, they, they had me step out because they said it's kind of, it's not a pleasing anything sight. You want, right. I get it. I get it. Whenever they have to flip someone, sure. they said it's not very pretty. Right. Because they have to be a little physical. Yeah. Because you have, you know, I'm, my wife was not a small person. She was right. all better of probably 260, 270. Right. So it took some muscle. Right. So you were excused so they could say, oh, yeah, she didn't tolerate it. Pretty much. Of course, they didn't tell you that then either. Each time, or did they? 
No, um, they every time that they tried to flip her, which wasn't that often. They only tried like two or three times before they finally in got her flipped. Days. Yeah, in nine right. days. Mm. Um, when they finally got her flipped, um, her face was swollen to the point where it looked like someone had put golf balls uh, above her eyeballs. Jeez. Because um, all the blood's just rushing into the front of your body. Well, she wasn't face down and like this. She was relatively level in fact mm. even slightly inclined yeah but still but it's just all that fluid just drains into right. the, yeah but into i mean the front gravity your you're you're laying down on the on your on your what however you're, you know whatever position you're in you're down that way for nine days yeah that's where all the blood's gonna pool yeah yeah um and even i mean eventually so, the swelling went down whatever um you know, again, she had good days, bad days. Her oxygen saturation would, you know, fluctuate from day to day. There were some days where she was all the way up to like 98, 99%. Mm-hmm. And they started trying to back what I, they said that they were backing down the amount of oxygen that they give her instead of the pressure that they give her. Through the ventilator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I would have, I, I would think that you would want it the other way around, but they thought differently. Um. It was right about, it was early November at, at this point that I decided I was going to make the website Fight for Christie. And I literally did everything. I registered a business, created the web, created the entire website all from the hospital room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I w- that's when I started doing daily updates and stuff. Mm-hmm. And... She eventually got to the point where she was starting to wake up a little bit. They were turning down some of the sedation. Um, the first thing you notice when someone's coming out is their eyebrows will start to twitch and then maybe their eyelids a little bit. And it progressed to not just that, but then she could also move her head around. She could open her eyes easily. Um, she was able to respond to yes, no answers. Like she could shake her head yes or no. Uh, eventually her fingers and arms started to be able to move again and she could point to things. So at this point I was like, this is great. You know, this is a major improvement. She's starting to come out of it. Yeah. You know, we might be through the woods on this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then it got towards the end of November and yeah. So you, that's like a month at that, but it's a whole month at that point. Almost two months, yeah. And you've you've missed Halloween. She, well, she's missed Halloween. She's missed Thanksgiving. So yeah. So right around Thanksgiving time, that's when she really started to show improvements. Mm-hmm. And um, surprisingly, she was tolerating the tube in her mouth very mm-hmm. well because that's not something she would normally be able to. Um, but it was Thanksgiving time. I spent Thanksgiving at the hospital with her mm-hmm. and then the next day um before i get to that I, I i should backtrack a little bit um one of the nurses uh knew about the website this is one of the good nurses mm-hmm. um knew about the website and was talking to me about it and stuff and informed me that the unit director, not not the ICU director, but the like basically like the head nurse, mm-hmm. caught wind of the website mm-hmm. and sent out a mass email to the entire ICU staff. 
the entire ICU staff, including people who had nothing to do with her care, mm-hmm. um, saying that you know the hospital is aware of it. Don't comment on it. Don't share it. Don't talk it. Don't talk about it with me or anyone else. You know, basically completely ignore it. Pretend it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I knew that they knew, and I figured that they probably didn't know that they knew, I figured they'd be on their best behavior because they know I'm watching them. Mm-hmm. Because I detail every single thing that happens. Yes, yeah. you should at this right. point, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I figured that they would be on their best behavior, that we're out of the woods, she can come home soonish, mm-hmm. right? and no one's going to screw up. <laughs> Last time I ever make that mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, so Black Friday, I, I talked to Christy and I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go up to your mom's house and she wants to have, th- she wants me to come up for Thanksgiving, so we'll have a late Thanksgiving you're going to be okay. You know, mm-hmm. they know that I'm watching them. You're safe. Mm-hmm. Everything is going to be fine. So I left and, um, I took the opportunity since I was up there for the weekend to go hunting. Cause you know, right after black Friday, that's mm-hmm. season opener for deer season. Right. I was out in the woods on Sunday and, I decided to call into the hospital. I, I'd called in on Saturday, too, just to see how everything was going. They didn't really update me much. They didn't have much to say. So I called in on Sunday at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning. And I said, you know, I just want to see how my wife's doing. Uh, can I talk to the nurse? And she put me on hold for a second, came back, and said, the nurse is busy right now. She'll call you back later. She's with another patient. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's fine. A few hours go by. And I hadn't heard anything. Well, her mom actually calls me and says, hey, I got a missed call from the hospital. Maybe you should call them. And I looked at my phone. And I'm like, I don't have a missed call. Mm-hmm. Why'd they call her? Right. So I call back in and she puts a nurse on the phone. And the nurse says, oh, she had a pneumothorax. She blew a hole in her lung. I was like, um, that's not good, right? No, not really. Should I be coming back now? Like, do I need to stop what I'm doing and leave? No, just hang tight. We'll we'll, we'll let you know how things go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So now I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, three hour, like three or four hours later, uh, I get another phone call from the hospital, and um, they said you need to come back now. I was like, okay, why? And they said, your wife coded for 15 minutes. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't in the state of mind to drive myself there. So sure. uh, her sister brought me down to the hospital. God bless her because she hates Pittsburgh and can't drive in, <laughs> in on highways or city traffic. But she made it there. We made it, we made it alive. Um, so I get there and I walk in the room and the look on my wife's face mm. is just somewhere between terror and sheer pain. Mm. And mm. I didn't understand why at first. Um, 
but a little bit later, uh, I, I found out that they had shut everything off on her. Everything except for the ventilator. So the only thing that was still running was the ventilator. All sedation was turned off. All pain man- management was turned off. Everything was turned off. Wow. So she was lying there fully awake, fully aware, with a tube in the side of her chest after having been been dead for 15 minutes. And I lost my coal. I, I couldn't hold that anymore. Yeah. I started screaming at anyone that was in the room and I called them out on knowing about the website and I said, you guys care more about watching my stupid website than you do about watching my wife. Mm-hmm. And finally, I was able to get them to turn stuff back on so that she would at least not be in pain. In pain. Yeah. Agony, I'm sure. Yeah. I can't imagine. And... um. So then after that, uh, her kidneys started failing. Her liver started failing. Um, up until this point, she had been holding a pretty steady fever. Mm-hmm. Um, usually around like 103, I, I believe. Around 103. It reached into 104 a couple times. And um, it went from being a fever to hypothermia. Her body was shutting down. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I don't remember much between then and the end, but it was all just a blur at that point. Yeah. I, I watched my wife's heart go from 140 beats per minute average down to 18 slowly. Wow. Took hours. Wow. Her blood pressure kept on dropping. They gave her everything they possibly could to uh, keep her blood pressure up. Mm-hmm. So then we ended up watching her die. And that's how long after the Saturday or Sunday after Thanksgiving? Only a couple of days. A couple of days. It was into December, right? Like this, December she, 1st. She, she yeah. died December 1st. Yeah. Yeah. So she went in beginning of October, died December 1st. Um, and at one point, I think I remember reading in your story, you had said that you had overheard the, um, you know, the, the ICU doctor, whatever you said, that main doctor call her, your, her, his test patient, her test subject. Yeah. He, uh, he called her her case study. Case study. His, he called her his case study. I didn't catch it, but she did. And she said, I'm not a lab rat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder what case study, what, what was he studying and, and. Uh, it doesn't, I mean, obviously, um, that's, uh, that's terrible to hear. I can't imagine how terrified that would have made her. Yeah. Lying there. And at this point she had the ventilator in or was this pre-ventilator when, when was, she heard that? She heard that before the ventilator. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that was the like, ventilator. that was like the, after the first day or two that she was upstairs in the adult ICU. Um, we had, we had tried to see about getting her transferred out because one of the things that they said she may qualify for was ECMO. Basically it's kind of like dialysis, but for the lungs, Mm -hmm. it oxygenates the blood for you so that your lungs don't have to do it. Yeah. Um, which we were okay with that idea. Um, cause at that point she was already ventilated and they were going to transfer her to Presby, which is literally a stone's throw from McGee. Mm -hmm. And 
they said that she didn't qualify because she was too big. Whatever. Okay. <clears throat> so I had talked to them about trying to transfer her out to another hospital just to see if maybe she could get better care somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, she's my wife. I want the best yeah. I possibly can get her. Right. And they said, well, she's too sick to leave. You can't take her anywhere. And then finally, when I raised enough stink about not liking the ICU director and not agreeing with how he was handling her case, um, they actually cornered us in a, uh, it, it was myself, uh, her sister and her mother. Um, they cornered us in what was supposed to be a family meeting and basically said, he is the ICU director and you will deal with him. We've requested other doctors. Like we, we wanted a second opinion. They said, right. no, you're looking he, for all your options. Yeah. Right. They said, he is the ICU director. There's no one else. Mm-hmm. You either deal with him or you get out. I said, but you just told me a little bit ago that we can't transfer her out. She, she won't make the trip. Mm-hmm. Well, you can transfer her out. That's fine. But you have to find your own bed somewhere else. What? Oh, so you won't even help us with the transfer. No, no. You have to find your own bed. You have to call hospitals and find your own bed. And then mm-hmm. you have to arrange the transport. And I said, okay, well, what about Presby right up the street? Oh, no, you can't take her to any other UPMC facility. You have to take her outside of UPMC. So you're telling me that the place that was going to be okay for her to go to for this ECMO, we can't even take her to. No. If you want to leave UPMC, you have to leave all UPMC. And I wish I wouldn't have asked uh, prior to having the conversation. I was going to record it. Mm-hmm. Because I knew where things were headed, yeah. and I asked them if they'd be okay with it. I I inferred that they shouldn't have a problem with me recording it, yeah. and they said no. Right. So then I couldn't. But uh, yeah, just that so many things went wrong in that hospital, and I I I, I just really hope no one else ever has to go through it. Yeah. So. Obviously, there's a problem with protocol or oh, communication. Oh, yeah. um, how how do you how do you fix a system like that? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is just my opinion, but protocols don't work. They're killing people. They're not helping anybody. I mean, the stats prove that if you go to a hospital with COVID and they put you on a ventilator. You have a better chance of making it out alive by not going there than you do being on a ventilator. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the people that I've talked to, uh, I can't remember what hospital she works at, but she's a nurse and she said that out of the 10 cases that she could think of right off the top of her head where someone was on a ventilator with COVID. Only one person survived. Wow. And that's just, that's that's an anecdotal story, but that's one person's story uh, firsthand. Yeah. Um, you know, doctors refusing things that are known to help. Even just normal, like vitamins. Like vitamins. Normal vitamin supplements, refusing it. It's like you have someone who's sick. Someone who's sick, their, their immune system is already weakened and already depleted. And you should be trying to help that, not hurt it. Right. And I've heard stories, uh, 
and I, I got to say, my wife's story, as tragic as it is and as horrible as it is, I keep on hearing stories about, um, like how they don't give people any nutrition. They won't even give them food and water. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I, I jumped on your website today after probably a couple months. You know, we, we, we you and I kind of lost touch for a little bit or, you know, didn't touch base for a little bit. And But I jumped onto your website again yesterday and I saw that you have quite a few other stories. Like, it seems like you're compiling stories. And, you know, I think that that's probably something, you know, that is is very vital right now is is to ha- get these stories out there as much as possible. Right. Can I, I want to shift gears for a second because yeah. I, I want to talk about contradictions and not necessarily in your story per se, but in your circumstances, in your emotions. You know, you are filled with joy and expectation over a new baby and then mm-hmm. watching your bride get sick and admitted to the hospital. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, as you're going in, you know, you know, the baby's, um, you know, it's about a month away, but, um, you know, talk about what you guys were doing up to that point before, you know, before you, she got sick and um, and then talk about, you know, the contradictions that you have in that, because that's two very, you know, separate sides of life. Right. Um, so my wife, you know, she had gone through obviously four deliveries before that. Mm-hmm. And the one thing she wanted to do this time, she wanted to do an, a home delivery. Okay. So we had a midwife. Um and things were going great, you know, mm-hmm. everything was fine, normal, everybody was healthy, and we were just getting the house ready for, you know, a new baby mm-hmm. and getting our room set up so that she could have the home delivery. Um, and that's, you know, basically when everything kind of yeah got turned upside down. Wow. And so you go from that, you go through the most horrifically disorienting, dizzying, enraging, and then at times, I'm sure, numbing ordeal, leaving you in places you never thought you would be, in a place you never thought you would be losing your wife. Help me understand at this point, from that point on, where do you go emotionally? Because you go from, I mean, there's all the stages of grief, and we get that and everything else. But what I mean is where you go as far as like, you know, you said earlier your mother-in-law was there for you, your, your sister-in-law was there for you. Where have you gone? Like, how have you been able to live? You know, I, I, when I met you tonight, I said I greet you with great respect. Right. Because this breaks people. Yeah. Um, tragedy makes you more of what you are and so you're obviously a strong man um how have you gotten from that point to this point my kids that's about it yeah go on about that um so the moment that her heart stopped beating i I was filled with unimaginable rage yeah and i i was pretty much dead set on getting revenge some way somehow right but then I look at my kids and I'm like, I can't. Right. I got four kids I got to take care of. I can't leave them stranded. Hmm. So hmm. my kids are pretty much the only thing keeping me level-headed. And how has it gone taking care of them? <laughs> they grow up fast. Mm-hmm. What are the ages? So um, her younger daughter, Emma, is 11. 
She's going to be 12 this year. Uh, Colin is 5. Carter, who actually now shares a birthday with his youngest brother, uh, is going to be 3 this year. And wow. obviously Caleb is still less than 1. Man. And that is... Do you have help? Yeah. My parents help out a lot. Um, I've had some friends come over and watch the kids so I can take care of some things here and there. Because, um, I mean, you're still you're working again, right? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Uh, I took... Including the two months that I was in the hospital with her, um, I took about five months off of work, and I still had a job when I was ready to go back. And well, that's and they gave you. I mean, you, they kept your your job for you. Yeah, yeah, oh. they did. I mean, it'd be a pretty crap move Ooh. not to. <laughs> I mean, it'd be another website, but it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, towards the end, they were they were starting to question if I was actually going to come back or not and at that point I pretty much was faced with the decision you know do I go back to work or am I leaving my job and searching for new work elsewhere right um because after my wife passed away I I spent up until the point where I went back to work I spent um all that time uh actually up with uh her mother with Mm -hmm. my mother-in-law and and know, she she lives about two hours away, something like that. Yeah, she's up towards Clarion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I got to spend some time just dealing. Um, a lot of woods out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of what helped is she actually has a wood burning furnace. And there's a whole lot less trees up there now, aren't there? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't cut down any that weren't already uh, dead, um, but I, I had the opportunity to go out and just, you know, escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you come back. Um, have you had the opportunity? I mean, I know you've the website is incredible, and it and it makes me even sadder seeing all the other stories. And we know there's a million stories out there. Oh yeah. I mean, the centralization of medicine is nobody's, uh, to no one's benefit, right. other than those who centralize money. Right. Right. Um, but you've kept busy. You got it out. You go through this process of you want to provide for your kids the greatest semblance of normalcy. Yeah. Because life is never going to be the same. And, and I shared with you just briefly, you know, my story. And once we knew that my youngest son was, his cancer was terminal, I was like, okay, I have to do everything I can to make sure that it doesn't ruin three lives. Right. You know, they've ruined, you know, one and a half lives. You can't let them ruin five and a half or six. How has it gone getting back? And then, so you search for a new, nor- for, for normalcy, but there is no new more normalcy. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to say new normal because that sucks. Mm-hmm. But there's yeah. a there's a there's a, a new reality. How has that process been, and how aggressively have you like have you done anything with your kids like uh, the caring place? Do you know about the caring place for grief? It's run by Highmark, which <laughs> it's, a, it's a bonus. It's not a UPMC facility, yeah. but it, it's just a place where both adults and children who have experienced loss can go. Um, they can go and get to work things out um how's it been just to stop i mean because you're well unfortunately because of work i haven't been able to do things outside of just normal everyday just days i'm just getting by yeah i haven't gotten a chance to get back to church yet which i need to do um depends on the church 
Cornerstone. It's okay. Yeah. It's good <laughs> Give you a thumbs up on that. All right. Um, yeah. Just, so you're just hitting the ground, just doing what you can. Yeah. Right. And how has, in this time period, you know, obviously you've had some people really come alongside you, um, but you are now, what, seven months removed, right? Yeah. Seven, eight months. Um, it, it's it's important because it sort of gets to a point where like the, the phrase I use is the lasagna stop coming. You know that in the first few days everybody's there, everybody's there, and then you get to a point and it's like oh, they're not there as much. You know, and people move on. Is it? Do you still have that support around you? Is it immediately family? Do you have those friends? Do you have enough to get by? I do. I and do. Then, and yeah. to get to that because that's essential. That's when people feel most alone. Yeah. Because, like I said, the phone calls stop. They don't want to bring it up, you know. They, and they start asking, "Well, you, you should be better by now." I'm like, when is that? You know, you're never yeah, better. No. Um, but that's great that there's at least those people to to still be there for you and help with the driving and the, and the because you got. I'm sure you're taking kids everywhere. Uh, well, actually, so when I'm at work, my parents are watching my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so when Christy and I first got together. Um, and we ended up getting pregnant with Colin, our first one together. Um, she was working. I was working. And I looked at her and I said, what are we going to do here? Because <laughs> we can't both work. Um, so you got two options, really. I, I, I said, you can either A, continue to work. And I continue to work. And all of your paycheck and then some goes to paying for daycare. daycare. Right. Or B, uh you just stay home and you get to raise your kids. Um, she saw that as a perfect opportunity because that's what she wanted. She wanted to be able to raise her kids. Yeah. Um, you know, she didn't want a daycare or a babysitter doing it for her. So I said, okay, that's what we'll do. You stay home. Yeah. I keep working. And that was my mission. That's That was my job in life. You know, she was supposed to raise the kids. I was supposed to work and make sure bills get paid, roof over her head, and food on the table. Hmm. And then someone screwed that up. Yeah. Badly. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm, I mean, again, I said it before, I'll say it again. The, the dad you are, the husband you are, uh, is impressive. And how hard you fought and how hard you're fighting is commendable. And yet, giving your kids a sense of normalcy. It's incredible. And, and tying in your parents and, and, of course, you know her mom is so vital for their health moving forward. Because, yeah. you know, will they be the same? No. But they can be okay. Yeah. They can be different, but they can be okay. I guess it's kind of a little bit of a twisted way to look at it, but Caleb and Carter are the two youngest. They're never going to remember. No. Yeah. No. Colin may have some slight memories. Right. The ones that are going to take it the hardest are myself and Emma. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's there's a there's a there's a journey ahead, but it's doable. Yeah. You know, it, that's the one thing I I I I love to encourage people is in your darkest moments it, it is possible to heal and to move on. Is there anything else you want to add as be, uh, while we before we wrap this up? Um, yeah, actually, so in my quest to bring out truth and share other people's stories, 
uh, I was actually approached by another group. Um, they're called Former Feds Group, and they do pretty much the exact same thing. Uh, you know, they gather stories, and share they, them, put them out there. Federal, because you explained it before podcast. Federal, like federal agents or federal. It, former feds is exactly what they are. Uh, it's you know former federal prosecutors, attorneys, stuff like that. Okay, um, but it's not just that. Um, we have a, and I say we because I, I joined with them. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a civilian task force, and we do a lot of work with uh, victim support, uh, victim outreach. Um, we're constantly searching for attorneys that will help uh, in different states to. Bring those responsible to justice, mm-hmm. really, because um, right now with all the blanket coverage that all the hospitals have, yeah, the the immunity that they have, it's quite a battle. Yeah, and we're trying to gather as much information and as many stories as we can, bring everyone together, because once you have a large enough mass of people, you can't ignore it. Right. It's no longer oh well, it's just circumstance or it's it's dumb a luck. Off. Yeah. yeah, it's no. There's diehard proof of what's going on, and that the problems are systemic. Yes, not outliers. Right. Well, um, do they have? Is there a website that you want to promote with that? I mean, because obviously you have your fight for Christie with a Y dot com. Um, does this, you know, this organization have anything that you want to shed a light on as far as like people can go check them out? Yeah. Um, if, if anyone has a story similar or even anything involving anything with all this crap that's going on, you know, you're not alone. Reach out. Yeah. Um, their website is formerfedsgroup.org. Um, you can also find them on chbmp.org. That's a, kind of like a sister website that we've put together so that other people can pretty much do the same thing. They can bring their own stories in. Mm-hmm. They can interview other people as well, you know. And you again, I mentioned that you have been putting stuff on your website. I mean, are, are you welcoming people to contact you as well? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah because we've seen, there's always been injustice in the, in the world, but the past two years, it seems like Everybody that's rotten has got away with, gone away with it, got away with it. Um, and there's so many people in those positions that are just hoping it all goes away. As, as more and more things become clear, um, they're hoping that we move on to other things. And um, for them, that might, might be an option. For them, it might just be, okay, that's in the rearview mirror. But for people like yourself, this is now your life that they have altered forever. Oh, yeah. And there has to be accountability for that. There is one more thing I want to touch on. Um, because we did have Matt take the relational needs questionnaire. Yeah. Um, and do you mind if we talk about that real quick, Matt? Sure. Um, so Matt's highest needs are affection, appreciation, and encouragement. And I think what um, What's really heartbreaking to me is that, like, you've lost your one source of affection, your wife. And that's, like, one of your highest needs. Like, that is incredible to me. Like, and I, we're, we're a podcast about emotional needs, and I just want to recognize that. And uh, 
that's just incredibly heartbreaking to me. And I know, like, you can get affection from high fives and fist bumps with buddies and hugs with your kids and stuff, but, man, losing your wife, gosh, I can't can't even imagine that. Um, But I appreciate you being here, and that's one of your highest needs. I want you to know that I appreciate you being here and doing this so much. And and I also encourage you uh, to keep going and keep fighting. And uh, if you ever need us for anything, please let us know, and we can we can promote whatever you need. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, I'm. I mean, I I've said it all. I mean, I you have all my respect in the world, and I look forward to what God does through you, and and literally the lives that are saved. Uh, and I encourage you, you know, never quit. And I know you're not going to. You don't need me to tell you that um, at all. But man, my heart goes out to you, and I'm a different man having met you. Yeah. Thank you. And I want to do take the time to just thank you for making the trip over here. I mean, you're coming from export, but it's not super far, but I, you know, taking the time out of everything else that's going on for continuing to, to dialogue with me, um, to be open. We talk about being open, honest, and vulnerable. And, um, this is incredibly open, honest, and vulnerable. So thank you for that. And that's going to wrap it up for episode 164. Please make sure to give us a like or follow on social media and visit us at lunchtimeinrome.com. While there, you too can take our relational needs questionnaire. Thanks for joining us at the table for Lunchtime in Rome. Bye. See you next week. Bye.